everyone, and welcome to What Would Nurses Do, an original evidence-based practice podcast created by nursing students for nursing students, where we take a deep dive into the world of evidence-based practice and the history of some of the things we do as nurses. What Would Nurses Do is the most up-to-date, often funny, occasionally odd evidence-based practice podcast. Sometimes you just have to ask why. We are your hosts, Jade, Kellen, Alvin, and Judith, and this is episode four, Wound Care with, with Nursing Students. Today we are discussing wound care of post-op surgical wounds. Those interested and in, are working in the med surgery nursing units may be intrigued in our discussion. Post-op surgical wounds generally heal through three phases, the inflammatory, the proliferative, and the remodeling phases. Typical outcomes include the incision that progresses from red and swollen day one to pale pink by day 15. Wound exited edema, arrhythmia, skin discoloration should typically resolve by day five. Wound closures should be seen by day four, and wounds are typically healed within two to three weeks. Scar tissue should form and appear white or silver in light-skinned persons, and pale pink to darker than usual skin color in darkly pigmented skin. So some history from Forrest and B. wrote an article that was published in 1982 that was meant to educate the community on the early history of wound treatment. He discusses how around 400 BC, Hippocrates preferred to leave wounds dry after removing necrotic material and washing them out. Hippocrates believed that honey, oil, and wine were the best to use for ointments. He also considered wool boiled in water or wine to be a useful dressing. Venesection was also a common practice during this time in order to remove the stagnated blood, believed to cause bad humor and hemorrhoid imbalances. In order to remove the bad blood in the around the wood, they will open a blood vessel that was near the wound and allow it to bleed out for a period of time. Another article by S. L. Koch, M. D. in 1940, wrote in one of his recommendations of practice taking place once the patient was in the operating room with, with doctors properly cleansed. The intended audience of this article is mainly both nurses and doctors. He quotes, surgical preparation of the wound is begun by removing the outer layers of the first aid dressing and washing a wide area all around the wound, patiently and thoroughly with soft, sterile cotton hands, covered in sterile gloves, and, and using plain white soap and sterile water. The dressing is then removed, and the wound itself is gently washed with soap and water. After washing, the wound is irrigated with a warm, sterile salt solution. No antiseptics are used for the belief that they can cause damage to sensitive open tissue. Finally, another article was written by A.C. King on February 15, 1941. For this technique, the surgeon started by removing any and all damaged skin and muscle tissue. Then the wound was packed with sulfonamides and covered with gauze that was smeared with sterile Vaseline, then wrapped in elastoplast or zinc oxide strapping. No sutures were applied to that wound until the fifth day when all the sulfonamide had been dissolved, leaving a clean wound that had begun to granulate. Patients have received this treatment show improvement with their symptoms of infection. Reports show reduced pulse rate, reduced level of pain, and an increase in alertness and orientation. There are many current research articles that discuss surgical site infections and wound care. A systemic review was performed by the Journal of Hospital Infection in 2017 on six European countries to assess and evaluate the evidence for the cost and health-related quality of life to the burden of surgical site infections. The review included 26 studies from electronic database searches Embase, Medline, and Cochrane Library regarding patients undergoing surgery in the hospital setting, with a particular focus on cardiothoracic surgery, orthopedic surgery, and general surgery. In order to be selected for the study, had to be a national study reported on surgical site economic and or quality of life burden of patients. 
The results show that the quality of life is decreased and the economic burden on patients is significantly increased when someone obtains a surgical site infection. In all 26 studies, the financial burden of surgery is consistently higher in patients who develop a surgical site infection than those who do not. Several studies consistently demonstrated that hospitalization was prolonged for patients who develop an SSI following surgery compared to the unaffected patients. These prolonged length of stays also increase financial strain on the patients, as well as the patients having to have more diagnostic tests and treatments, which increase the price. During one of the studies, the incident of surgical site infections was even as high as 36%. Surgical site infections were associated with many, many negative patient outcomes, including increased requirement of reoperation, readmission, increased mortality and morbidity rates, and a decrease in overall quality of life. It's important to always assess the wound and use clean or sterile technique when, when cleaning wounds and applying new dressing. As the demand for surgical procedures rises, the incident and associated cause of surgical site infections will likely escalate. Thus, this review highlights the need for renewed efforts from European countries to improve the quality of care, consequently helping to reduce the financial burden of surgical site infections. Another randomized controlled trial was performed by Armour ETL in 2019 to evaluate the efficacy in, of negative pressure wound therapy for surgical site infections after an, an open pancreatic duodenectomy. The population was 124 patients at the time of the closure of closure of the surgical incision. The independent variable is the patients were randomly assigned to either the surgical incision closure using negative pressure wound therapy or standard closure. The dependent variable is the rate of surgical site infection which occurred in the patients. 9.7% of patients in the negative pressure wound therapy group uh, had a obtained a surgical site infection and 31% of the patients in the standard closure group obtained one. This results in a relative risk reduction of 68.8%. The researchers compared the results to a meta-analysis meta in which it found that 10% of the randomized controlled trials found a significant reduction in the relative risk of surgical site infection, infection leading to a 51% re reduction. Other factors that help lower the risk of surgical site infection are the application of wound protectors, protectors disinfectants to the skin, and specialized dressings. Further research is needed to explore other surgical procedures where negative pressure wound therapy is used, although based on this scientific rationale, negative pressure wound therapy is believed it may yield the same surgical site infection risk reduction for patients undergoing a wide array of operations as it did in the population study. Now, as nurses, we try to do our best to prevent surgical site infections, giving the best quality care. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. A Bangladesh study conducted by SICK during 2017 made further awareness of this. The purpose of this study was to ID nurses' practice, their barriers and facilitators for SSI preventions, and formulate methods for any needed improvements. Here, this study was performed in two phases. The first phase was a quantitative phase consisting of surveying 233 randomly selected RNs in three tertiary-level hospitals. This helps ID the nurses' practice for SSI prevention. The second was a qualitative phase with 22 RNs through focus groups discussions and three nurse admins using in-depth interviews. And this was used to ID barriers and facilitators and propose direction for improving SSI prevention nursing practice. The independent variable is the method of gathering the data and the dependent would be the nurse's response to the adherence of SSI prevention. This mixed method version design was used to provide a broad scope from different data sources. And what they found was that there was poor adherence to the SSI prevention practice. And this was due to barriers of insufficient knowledge, resources, budget, monitoring systems, and poor surveillance. 
Therefore, this study implied that these barriers result in SSI during wound care. Now, according to a meta-analysis by Beckstein in 2018, there is not much of a difference between wound dressings. In this analysis, it described a study involving 209 patients undergoing either total knee replacement, hip replacement, or spinal surgery. They hypothesized that neither the absorbent or conventional dressing made differences in achieving a healed wound. Here, they compared the use of an absorbent silicone dressing and a conventional dressing. In this case, their hypothesis was correct. Also, they noted during removal of dressings, some of the uh, epidermis is removed, thus exposing the dermis to infection. But even then, there is not enough proof that this may cause an SSI. Another study compared silver impregnated hydrocholate dressing to an antibicrobial impregnated dressing. They found that the incidences of acquiring an SSI here was minimal in both. Now, having said this, there are still advantages to absorbent and wound dressings, uh, such as fewer dressing changes, better patient comfort, improved handling, and easier removal. Meanwhile, CDC guidelines for the prevention of SSI protocol are what hospitals like Mary Immaculate Hospital adhere to. In addition, at Mary Immaculate, a more condensed checklist with a total of 20 items is located in, in the same section as the CDC guidelines, representing the hospital's compliance to the protocol. Item 15 on the checklist broadly refers to implementing policies and practices aimed at reducing the risk of SSI that align with evidence-based standards. Specifically, according to Craven et al. in 2021, one of the most important nursing interventions in hospital is assessment of the post-operative wound. The parameters most applicable to a post-surgical wound are wound size, wound drainage, tubes and drains, signs and symptoms of infection, condition of the surrounding skin, and pain. Assessment is the most critical part of the nursing process in order to implement the proper intervention to prevent SSI. Interestingly, the CDC guidelines were published in 99, almost 20 years ago. The difference was using the grading of recommendations, assessment, development, and evaluation or grade approach as, as the evidence-based method used to produce the new guidelines, as opposed to just relying on expert opinion. What is interesting is that patient education is completely absent from the research. Patient education was listed as an item but at a re recommendation level of three, which according to the National Institute of Health's classes of recommendations suggests that the evidence or general agreement that the given treatment or procedure is not useful or effective, and in some cases may even be harmful. But how can this be? As nurses, one of our core responsibilities is education. There is obvious some, obviously some disparity here that needs to be addressed. Tartari et al. Uh, discussed how SSIs continue to be a major challenge despite all the guidelines in place. In summary, there are three main areas of SSI prevention, pre, peri, and post-operative. To date, most of SSI preventative measures have focused on the surgical team with patient participation unexplored and thus warranting assessment. A framework of nine recommendations was created based uh, on bettering um, and sorry, empowering the patient. These fundamental teaching points were collected based on evidence and expert advice and consensus when evidence was scarce. These were organized into a pamphlet and include staphylococcus, ureus, screening, decolonization, smoking, hair removal, hand hygiene, body temperature, preoperative showering and bathing, diabetes mellitus, multidrug resistant organism risk, and of course, wound care after surgery. What is also noted is the importance in healthcare worker behavior and support in order to ensure successful patient engagement. Evidence suggests that 
healthcare workers are falling short in their role to adequately engage their patients and is contributing to poor patient outcome. As nurses, it is our duty to make sure we teach our patients how to advocate for themselves. So that's our show for now. We are your hosts, Jade, Kellen, Alvin, and Judith, and we thank you for listening to What Would Nurses Do? The evidence-based practice podcast by nursing students for nursing students. Don't forget to join us for our next episode on Anchor or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rock on. Take care.